It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do, that's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. This is Bloomberg Law with June Grosso from Bloomberg Radio. The stunning leak of the draft of Justice Alito's opinion overturning Roe v. Wade has led to demonstrations across the country. A doomed attempt by Senate Democrats to establish a federal right to abortion. Fences being erected around the Supreme Court building. And a lot of speculation about the repercussions of ending the half-century-old right to abortion, including from Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, who warned Congress that reversing Roe would have a negative effect on the economy. I believe that eliminating the right of women to make decisions about when and whether to have children would have very damaging effects um, on the economy and would set women back decades. Roe v. Wade and access to reproductive health care, including abortion, helped lead to increased labor force participation. It enabled uh, many women to finish school. That increased their earning potential. My guest is Mary Ziegler, a professor at UC Davis Law School. Is this the first time the Supreme Court would be overturning precedent to eliminate a constitutional right? The only other case you could maybe cite is, you know, Lochner, which was a constitutional right to contract, freedom of contract. But I think obviously that case was different because in practice it sort of served to undercut minimum wage laws and other laws. It wasn't often invoked by workers to protect themselves, although it sometimes was. So I think this is, I mean, certainly one of the only times, if not the only time the court has taken away a right like this. Some states have trigger laws, which kick in if Roe is overturned. This draft decision leaves abortion to the states, and that would mean a patchwork of abortion laws across the country. Tell us about the range of restrictions we could see on abortion. So, I mean, we don't even entirely know the full range of constraints. 
because states are still hashing out exactly what they mean by abortion in terms of whether that's going to sweep in other pregnancy-adjacent things like IUDs or the morning-after pill. The governor of Mississippi was on CNN just the other day and was not willing to answer a question about whether those would be included in abortion bans or, you know, steps in infertility treatment like in vitro fertilization. And they're trying to figure out how they're actually going to enforce these laws. But we do know that somewhere in the, the ballpark of half the states are going to criminalize virtually all abortions within a very short period of time after Roe comes down. And then it's just a matter of what exactly that means on the ground. When you say criminalize, make it a crime for a woman to get an abortion or make it a crime for a doctor to perform an abortion? The first round of these laws seem to be focused primarily on making it a crime for a doctor to perform an abortion and perhaps for people to aid or abet that doctor in performing the abortion. But we've already seen that that's up for debate. Louisiana has a bill moving through that legislature that would also authorize the punishment of of pregnant people and women. So at the moment, that's not on the table, but um, we've seen states begin to consider the possibility. What about self-managed abortions? There was the Texas woman who was arrested when she was reported by the hospital staff. She was arrested on Mm -hmm. murder charges, and then the prosecutor dropped them because there's no such crime in Texas. Yeah, well, self-managed abortions are, I think, going to be one of the next fronts in the conflict because... What you saw, I think, in that Texas example is that on the one hand, many red states, including Texas, have committed in law to not punishing patients. But there's also, I think, a tension because in many cases of self-managed abortion, there will be no one else for the state to punish. The state will be unable, for example, in the case of Lizelle Herrera out of Texas to punish a doctor in Mexico or to punish a doctor who's mailing pills from the Netherlands, or to punish a doctor in a state like Connecticut, which has recently passed a law saying it won't extradite doctors to face criminal charges. So that essentially means the only person who could be punished is the person managing the abortion. So I think we're going to see states faced with, you know, in their view, difficult decision between punishing people who have abortions or just not enforcing their laws. Several big employers like Citigroup, Yelp, and Uber have pledged to pay travel expenses if their employees can't access an abortion in their home state. Would those companies be targeted next by by states? It's possible that, that they would be considered um, to have aided or abetted someone having an abortion. I would be really surprised if red states went after companies because there's, they're already quite likely to be Um, or probably concerned that they'll face adverse business consequences from their positions on abortion. And I think it's possible that these steps taken by employers to fund travel for their workers may be a first step. You may see something later resembling the boycotts you saw with um, North Carolina and policy on transgender people using the restroom of their choice. And so if states do aggressively go after companies, they're almost welcoming a more kind of robust reaction from the corporate community, that one that may be coming anyway. The next battleground, well, there are a few battlegrounds. So let's say one of the next battlegrounds is states trying to stop their residents from traveling across state lines to terminate a pregnancy. Can states enforce their laws beyond their borders? 
The answer is we don't know. So the extraterritorial application of these laws is something that hasn't, or even really any laws, is something that hasn't been dealt with a lot in recent history. We have one case that isn't really directly on point from the Roe era. And then to look back further, you really have to go to the days of kind of fugitive slave disputes to really get into this kind of interstate war. So I don't know (laughs) is the answer. And so that's one of the reasons you see blue states anticipating these struggles and passing laws like the one in Connecticut essentially saying we're not going to comply with these requests, but how those disputes will be resolved, whether what the red state would be doing would be constitutional is unclear, which state's law would apply in those circumstances is unclear. And the great irony of it all, of course, is that if that's contested, it's going to end right back up in the Supreme Court, which in this draft is telling us that, you know, things are going to become much more peaceful when the court gets out of the abortion business and this goes back to the states. Practically, I'm wondering how they would enforce it unless they had a law like Texas's, which makes every citizen an enforcer or a bounty hunter. Yeah, there are lots of different possibilities. I think one possibility is sort of digital surveillance. There are potential ways people can get caught. Law enforcement can buy your search data. They can troll your social media. There may be programs along those lines. There are likely going to be people who are found out when they seek treatment for medical complications, which is terrible because it's going to disincentivize people from seeking treatment for medical complications, including for conditions that aren't abortion, like miscarriages. And then I think finally, People are likely to be caught the same way people are caught for using marijuana, which is to say people in the most highly policed communities will be more likely to be found out just simply because they're having more interactions with law enforcement, which I think would most likely be, unsurprisingly, right, people of color, low-income people, people who are already disproportionately affected by the criminal justice system. Another next battleground is medication abortion or abortion pills, which account for more than half of recent abortions. Is this the most workable option in the future for getting an abortion? It may well be. Medication abortion obviously isn't applicable throughout pregnancy. At the moment, the FDA only authorizes it for the first 10 weeks. But it is becoming the preferred method, and it is relatively hard to trace. It is something that people can get in states where abortion is illegal from organizations like Aid Access that operate internationally. But I think in a post-Roe world, no abortion method will be really free of potential consequences for people seeking it, unfortunately. Some states also ban the use of telemedicine for abortion. So is that a way of cutting people off from these pills? It may be. Um, So states are already trying to prevent telemedicine abortion. 19 of them have laws in place to do this. And of course, they'll expand those prohibitions to just outlaw abortion altogether, including medication abortion. So there's already kind of an arms race between states trying to shut down access to these pills and groups that support abortion rights trying to circumvent those laws. What other areas do you think are going to be battlegrounds or litigated coming up? There'll be questions about how broadly the state defines abortion and whether those broad definitions create any constitutional questions. For example, if a state bans in vitro fertilization or if a state bans IUDs, you know, does that raise constitutional questions? I think there'll be questions, as you mentioned, about out-of-state travel. And I think finally, there'll be questions about whether there will be a nationwide ban on abortion, something that we've seen congressional Republicans float and something also that anti-abortion groups are asking the Supreme Court to do down the road by essentially recognizing the personhood of a fetus or unborn child. Does it seem clear to you that contraception is another target ahead? 
Potentially, because within the anti-abortion movement, there are very different definitions of what counts as an abortion-inducing drug, and that can often sweep in some of what most people consider contraceptive. So it would not surprise me if at least some states sweep in some forms of contraception in their abortion bans, because I think, unbeknownst to most Americans, there's been a live battle for some time about what abortion means, not just whether it should be legal. Does Alito's reasoning mean that other constitutional rights that to quote him, are not deeply rooted in this nation's history and tradition, like gay marriage, could be in jeopardy. Well, we've seen some signs of it. In part, Samuel Alito and Clarence Thomas have already very publicly argued that the Supreme Court's decision on gay marriage was wrongly decided. The reasoning of the draft could easily apply to any of the court's jurisprudence on a substantive due process right to privacy, including same-sex marriage. So I think it's a question of, one, do states do something that would give rise to a case? And two, does the court really want to take down the entirety of substantive due process jurisprudence? And I don't think the answer to that is yes today, but I think if you're looking five or 10 years down the road, I imagine you get a different answer. Finally, and you referred to this, but do you think the five justices who allegedly voted for this knew the can of worms they were opening and how this would further divide an already divided country, or did they just not care? I think that they don't care is a fair reading, at least of the draft. The draft more or less says they don't care. So the draft essentially says our job is to interpret the law. And if that, you know, destroys the country along the way, that's really not our problem. The irony, of course, is that one of the arguments the draft offers for undoing Roe is that it polarized the debate and deepened the country's divide. And so it's strange to say the least that the court seems disinterested in whether it's about to do that again in this decision. Thanks, Mary. That's Professor Mary Ziegler of UC Davis Law School. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do, that's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. 
Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. The Senate rushed into an almost certain-to-fail vote toward enshrining Roe v. Wade abortion access as federal law. The roll call promised to be the first of several efforts in Congress to preserve the nearly 50-year-old court ruling, which declares a constitutional right to abortion, but is likely to be overturned by five conservative members of the Supreme Court. My guest is Elizabeth Sepper, a professor at the University of Texas Law School. Alito's is a draft opinion. Does it matter if the language is changed in the final opinion if Roe is still reversed? A change in the language might limit the immediate repercussions of the opinion beyond reproductive health and beyond abortion. So we could see reasoning that would let us know that same-sex marriage and contraception, for instance, are not under immediate threat. But Justice Alito's opinion doesn't give us any such reassurance. He says they're not under threat, but... You know, I just wonder, with the way they're overturning precedent, not only in this case, but in other cases, whether you can really believe that. I think there are two points. First, the court is quite political, and the five radical justices on the Supreme Court all told us that they were not interested in overturning Roe v. Wade, that it was precedent that they would stick to. So we've already seen that that, in fact, is not the direction in which they're going. The second point is that Justice Alito's opinion uses a test that looks to whether a right is deeply rooted in history and tradition. And if it's not, he says, well, the Constitution doesn't protect that right. But we know that lots of what we consider to be our fundamental constitutional rights, including right to contraception, arguably could be said not to be deeply rooted in history and tradition. So under Alito's reasoning, are contraceptives that act after conception, like IUDs or the morning after pill, are they considered abortion? There are a number of forms of emergency contraception, and the primary and, for many of them, the exclusive mechanism of action is to prevent fertilization of the egg with sperm. Um, Some of them may prevent implantation, but with the possible exception of an IUD, a particular type of IUD, they don't interfere with an implanted pregnancy. So from a medical standpoint, from a scientific standpoint, emergency contraception has nothing to do with ending a pregnancy. From a religious point of view, however, uh, you know, there are religious groups that believe that life begins at what they call conception. This is not a medical term, but they mean the fertilization of an egg with a sperm. And in that case, uh, lots of what we think of as distinctly contraceptive becomes a mechanism that ends a potential future life. 
And perhaps more to the point, right, we have seen Justice Alito in opinions for the Supreme Court, um, the Hobby Lobby opinion, for example, Little Sisters of the Poor, we also saw um, emergency contraception referred to as an abortifacient. And Justice Kavanaugh at his confirmation hearings used exactly the same language. This is not true as a matter of science and fact, but it is the religious perspective, it would seem, of these particular justices. So is contraception the next target of the right to life movement? For anti-abortion activists, I'm not sure what the next target is. In terms of pulling back constitutional rights, it seems to me quite clear that emergency contraception is initially in the crosshairs. And what could see how the analysis that Justice Alito does in this opinion with relatively few modifications could be applied to the notion of a constitutional right to contraception. Now, there are some folks who would say, well, yes, there should be no constitutional right to contraception for unmarried couples, but married couples would be protected by the marital privacy that they say is deeply rooted in our history and tradition. But the fact that that's even a talking point, even something we're having discussions about, shows how quickly the movement is shifting toward targeting other constitutional rights. Which constitutional rights that are based in privacy would Alito say, or the conservative justices, are deeply rooted in the Constitution? The level of generality at which we define a right matters quite a bit. So the right to marry would seem to be a right deeply rooted in our nation's history and tradition. Now, that right has excluded people throughout history, right? It excluded enslaved people. But we could say that that was deeply rooted. Now, Justice Alito, as we know from his dissenting opinion in Obergefell v. Hodges, would say same-sex marriage is not part of that history, that it's really man-woman marriage that's part of our history not marriage between people of the same sex. Of course, one could say the same thing about interracial marriage, that for much of our history, it was taboo. It was not protected by our laws or our traditions. I don't think that any of the conservative justices want to go that far, but the argument is there. Once we adopt a test that looks at the 1800s in order to consider what rights the Constitution should protect, that's where we are. Justice Thomas is in an interracial marriage, so I doubt that that's going to be something that's in question. But gay marriage is something else. Both Alito and Thomas have questioned the constitutional right to gay marriage. Is reversing the right to gay marriage different from reversing the right to abortion because of the reliance interests of people who are already in gay marriages? There are, you know, children who have been adopted by gay parents. I just wonder if that would be very difficult to unwind. So the reliance interests between abortion and same-sex marriage, I think, run in exactly the opposite direction. We've had about 50 years of Roe v. Wade. People have structured their whole lives around this. There are multiple generations who have depended on the existence of the abortion right. Same-sex marriage as a constitutional matter is seven years old. And I think that many conservatives would say that the time period at which Obergefell v. Hodges was decided shows that the states can make it work. 
same-sex marriage also has the benefit of the full faith and credit clause so that someone could go get married in Massachusetts, come back to Texas, and have their marriage acknowledged by the state. So I, I don't think the reliance interests are stronger. If anything, they are weaker in the area of same-sex marriage, which doesn't mean that they aren't essential and important and that people haven't structured their life around same-sex marriage. But Justice Alito and his fellow travelers just gave the back of the hand to the idea there was any re- reliance interest from five decades of the abortion right. President Biden after this draft was revealed, named LGBTQ rights as specifically at risk. What impact could a reversal of Roe have for the transgender community? Well, Justice Alito's draft opinion really questions whether the Constitution protects a right to privacy in the 14th Amendment. Right, that part of the basis for the abortion right was the notion that privacy was protected through the 14th Amendment. And privacy rights are essential for sexual autonomy. We could look back to Lawrence v. Texas, where the Supreme Court, on both equal protection and substantive due process grounds, granted some measure of right to consensual sexual intimacy. That matters quite a great deal for sexual rights and rights of LGBTQ people. Rights to parent children could become very fraught here. I think all the justices would say that right to parent is part of our deeply rooted history and tradition. But we're seeing at the moment a concerted attack on the right of parents to raise transgender kids and attacks on their decision making about medical care uh, and treatment for those particular children. And so I think we will see some cases uh, where states may respond that the right to parents just doesn't apply here, where we're talking about decisions about transgender kids. Looking at what happened on Wednesday, where the Democrats couldn't even get all their own members to vote for a bill protecting abortion rights, what's the next step? What can be done? Could passing the Equal Rights Amendment affect abortion rights? You know, there's some irony here uh, in that the Equal Rights Amendment generated lots of opposition, partly based on the bathroom issue um, and based on draft, the draft and then abortion, that it would protect abortion. But now we've had decades of courts saying that reproductive health care has nothing to do with sex equality, that uh, pregnancy has nothing to do with sex equality. And we saw Justice Alito do that in the draft opinion. So it almost seems like the Equal Rights Amendment would be much less likely to affect access to reproductive health care than maybe we thought it would uh, back when it was proposed. What are some steps that the federal government could take right away? The first thing the federal government could and should and should have done is to more comprehensively enforce the Emergency Medical Treatment and Labor Act. Um, We know that in particular in red states, but in states across the country, that there are many hospitals that when someone comes to the hospital miscarrying, they do not treat them according to the standard of care. And they violate federal law requiring emergency treatment of people in labor according to the standard of care. And those laws are enforceable by the federal government and should be enforced. We have reports from lots of states, but apparently some widespread practice in places like Alabama, where doctors are concerned about legal liability under the state law. 
But federal law preempts state law, and the federal government should be enforcing EMTALA. The second thing the government could do is act through the Food and Drug Administration. So the federal government could use the Food and Drug Administration um, to more clearly preempt state laws that attempt to interfere with access to medication, abortion. And this could have some major effect because states are going to be focused, I think, going forward um, quite a bit on access to medication, abortion, and self-managed abortion care. Is that something that's difficult to control, difficult for states who outlaw abortion to control you know, the sending of pills. Right. States will have a much harder time targeting medication abortion than they have targeting abortion providers in clinics. And the states don't have control over the mail. That's the province of the federal government. But um, I think we should all recall that we're essentially carrying around surveillance devices in our hands. And I think we will see lots of efforts made to target medication abortion and cut off the flow. And states, um, you know, aren't going to be able to prosecute everyone. They're not going to be able to stop everyone from getting access to medication abortion. There will be lots of medication abortions. But I suspect states will target their energy on people they know are movement actors and may be helping supply medication abortion to people in states that prohibit it. I just want to get your reaction to what Janet Yellen testified. And she said, I believe that eliminating the right of women to make decisions about when and whether to have children would have a very damaging effect on the economy and would set women back decades. Do you think this would set women back decades? We know what happens when women don't have access to good reproductive health care. They end up getting pregnant when they're teenagers. They end up marrying partners who they shouldn't marry or stay with partners they shouldn't marry. They end up trapped in situations um, that they can't get out of. And they don't have the time or resources to be able to devote to education and employment that they otherwise would have if they could make the decisions about when and how to form their families. Thanks, Liz. That's Professor Elizabeth Sepper of the University of Texas Law School. And that's it for this edition of the Bloomberg Law Show. Remember, you can always get the latest legal news on our Bloomberg Law podcast. You can find them on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and at www.bloomberg.com slash podcast slash law. And remember to tune into the Bloomberg Law Show every weeknight at 10 p.m. Wall Street time. I'm June Grosso, and you're listening to Bloomberg. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.